let's stand together as we worship the Lord through song. He deserves all praise. Amen. Let's sing this out as our anthem to him this morning. All praise to him. All praise to him, the God of life, who formed the mountains by his might. All praise to him, who names the stars, that sing his famous high of God. All praise to him, who reigns in love, who guides the God. Thank you for joining us for worship today at First Baptist Church of Woodson. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. The new Adult Sunday School quarter begins September 10th. Here are a variety of options for adults. The normal Adult Sunday School class that meets in the auditorium will be available. Anyone who is new and or would like to learn more about FBC can be a part of the Starting Points class in the cafe. The Young Adult C4 class, ages 18 to 30, will meet in room 403. We will have our first modular class that will meet from September 10th to October 22nd. There will be a ladies class led by Angie Jacobs and Laura Martin in room 405, and a Goodreads for Believers class led by Holden Warder and Johnny Martin in room 402. If you have any other questions about these classes, please see Pastor Brad or Johnny Martin after the worship today. The last CPP training event for the year will be Saturday, September 9th. This event will be at 5 p.m. and will meet in the cafe. If you have not previously attended any other CPP events in 2023, then this is a mandatory meeting for all those working with children at FBC. Please reach out to Johnny Martin if you have any questions. There are no evening community group meetings planned for tonight. Next Sunday, September 10th, we plan to kick off the new quarter of community groups with a church-wide meal after the AM gathering. 
we will then have community group meetings here in the church building. Don't miss a great time of food, fellowship, and spiritual conversation next Sunday afternoon. All FBC attenders are encouraged to sign up for one-on-one discipleship. Books and information are available in the link. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years through the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. The ministry of First Baptist Church is funded entirely by voluntary gifts of God's people. This is an important part of our worship as we unite together in a tangible way to advance the priorities of Jesus in our community and beyond. If you would like to participate in worship by giving, please utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium. Request a weekly gift to be sent directly from your bank to the church office, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the giving tab at the top of the page. Thank you for partnering together with the rest of the church to advance the cause of Christ. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connection card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Welcome. I want to reemphasize a couple of announcements that were mentioned just a moment ago. Um, but before we do that, I want to introduce you to one of our missionaries. It's really a pleasure for us to have Mike and Don Jewell with us. They have served for many, many years faithfully in Brazil. Some of our fond, fond memories of uh, mission trips were spent with them. And uh, Mike, I got to tell you, when I came home the very first time from visiting you guys, I think in 2013, after some of the van trips that you took us on, um, I came home with some from some stories. And church, you might remember, this isn't a van trip, but uh, Luis and I talking about sleeping on the floor in the second level of a home and in the middle of the night hearing a blood-curdling scream just below us outside and uh, waking up in the morning to find out that there was some serious crimes going on in the neighborhood. That was Mike and Don's place that we were at. And uh, they, uh, they have braved some of the roughest parts of Brazil and Detroit in their life. And uh, so we're happy to have them back here in Michigan, recently retired from the field. And uh, we're grateful to have them here give us kind of a final update on their ministry and uh, reintroduce us to them. So Mike and Don, thank you for coming. Come on up and give an a update on your ministry, Mike. Thank you. used a glass pulpit before. It's pretty cool. The announcements are cool here, too. In fact, Pastor Dwight Schultz, do you know Dwight Schultz from First Baptist Stirling Heights? He says, you're really cool. I said, uh, he said something about, I saw their missionary board in the hallway, and it has like five dead people on it. And I told him, I said, you need to update that. And he's like, I said, he said, you got any ideas? I said, yeah, Wixon's got some cool missionary stuff. And he said, yeah, Brad's really cool. (laughs) 
You can send your offering online too. <laughs> we were here for the first time in 1995. Pastor Claude Wiggins, and uh, it was the third church that responded to my uh, fantastic packet of information that I put together. Sent out 51, expecting to hear from all 51, having us come to them. I didn't know how we were going to schedule all of our meetings, but uh, actually only three churches responded, and I about gave up our mission career back then. But Pastor Wiggins had us, and I don't know how many of you were here back in 1995. Yes. So I don't know. You probably don't remember that, but that was a, a momentous time in our career, and we began our missionary expectation and what God was going to do in our lives. But God had begun working a few years earlier in uh, our salvation as children at First Baptist Lake Orion and then uh, calling us to the field through a missionary service on a Sunday morning in late May of 1980. And my story is similar to a slow-motion version of the Jonah story, someone who didn't want to go, to didn't want to leave the, the comforts of home and didn't want to leave a good job. And... I chose Psalm chapter 23, verse 1 this morning, just as kind of a verse that God has proven through the years. In, in my version, it says, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so often, I would I memorize that verse as a child, and I know that many of you have as well. And we we say that so simply, and yet when we have to actually lay everything down, into Yahweh's hands, we, we tremble. And yet I can stand here this morning and say that God is faithful. My wife and I are simple folk. We uh, didn't have any college training. We didn't have any Bible training until later in life. And yet God called us to serve him in Brazil. Tem brasileiros aqui hoje de manhã? Opa, tudo bem? I'm, I'm talking to my Brazilian people. I talked to Adriano or Adrian, and he said, Oh, it's so good to hear Portuguese. <laughs> então, gente, eu estou com saudade do Brasil. A gente vai voltar dia 19 deste mês. I said, we're, we're really missing Brazil, and we're going to go back on the 19th to celebrate uh, the inauguration of our last work. We were uh, privileged to work in Sorocaba for 22 years, where the Lord used us, helped us to be a part of teams that started three churches that are still going to this day, praise the Lord. And in each case, we were a part of the construction. And we were, I don't remember that scream in the night. We were just so used to it. Oh, no, another one goes. Another one bites the dust, you know. But anyway, uh, we we started with a team of Americans, two two American families and our family, and a Brazilian family, and we were privileged to start uh, Igreja Batista Calvário in Sorocaba, which is Calvary Baptist Church. And then the Lord used us there for just a couple of years. We came back on furlough, and then when we returned, we began work at Igreja Batista Esperança, which is Hope Baptist Church. And... Uh, and we were at Hope for seven years. It was at Igreja Batista Fé, that, or Faith Baptist, that pastor visited two times. 
you're one of the rare ones because there weren't very many people that visited us once, I mean, as far as pastors go. But uh, you came back for a second dose, and that was a blessing. It was just one night that you were there, but we praise the Lord for your, for your coming because that was neat. And by the way, he, he writes some pretty cool missionary letters as well. Those, he, does he send them to you? The, there are a couple pages long, and there are a lot of stuff, but it's, it's pretty, pretty detailed, and he sends them out to the missionaries. Missionaries are expected to write their life story and uh, send it like once a month to churches. Yeah, you laugh because you didn't have to do it. But. <laughs> and my pastor even said, you better write, because if you don't, we're going to drop in your support. And I thought, wow, I guess I better write, yeah. So anyway, but thank you for your uh, updates. Those were neat. But the Lord allowed us to move to uh, the neighborhood that Pastor mentioned this morning. And it was a move that I didn't want to make. It was a move that uh, I tried to avoid. And the Lord proved that that was where it was supposed to be by about that much. And I'll explain it really quickly. We had looked at houses to move to because we were getting kicked out of our our rented house, not because we didn't pay the rent, but just because the guy wanted to raise the rent twice the amount we were paying. So we look, began looking, and one of the little girls we were ministering to said, there's a house in, in Abitetu. And I'm like, Abitetu was like a place where the government had given land to people to build houses, but they basically were people that didn't have any money, so uh, it was a pretty bad place. But uh, when she said that, I said... You move there. I'm not moving there. I'm not moving there. And we looked and looked and couldn't find a place, but finally did find that the only place that we could really find near where we were ministering was that place in Abitetu. But I told the Lord, I'm not moving in unless our van fits in the garage. It fit by that much. (laughs) I said, that's not funny. But anyway, we lived there for two years, and Pastor, even the Brazilians thought we were crazy. Not only we thought we were crazy, and you thought we were crazy, but the Brazilians thought we were crazy. But in that time, we saw the Lord uh, protect us. Uh, In fact, did I tell you about being threatened by the butcher knife, the guy that came to our house? Yeah. So anyway, that, that happened there. That was fun. But anyway, uh, the Lord protected us, as you can tell. I'm still here. And we saw a church begin by uh, using children, basically children's ministries. And uh, the children became teens, and now those teens are, are adults, and they're, they're marrying each other, and we're seeing the Lord bless at the Igejibashi Stafet. When we were near the end of our um, mission term, uh, about a year, well, back in, did anything here happen in 2020? <laughs> wow. Uh, it happened in Brazil where we had to, like, stay in our houses. But before that happened, a month before that, a few months before that, actually in 2019, a Brazilian pastor invited us to come to visit, uh, like, a community group type situation. And uh, he said, would you like to speak? And I said, sure. And so came and spoke, and it was a group of sod farmers, not farmers, but sod workers working on sod farms. We came into this setting where there was a humble dwelling. It was at night, and there was about 50 people gathered outside the house, 
and they were singing and they were about to hear me speak and I was wow this is so amazing I thought Lord don't even think about it I'm not moving here because we're almost ready to leave Brazil but that night as the the pastor after the service the pastor came up to me and he said well now you know what it's going to be like when you come and work with us and I'm like Get away from me. I'm not doing that. I'm not, it's too late. I can't do that. You know, I'm almost 70 years old, and we're leaving the field, and we're not going. But about three months later, we left, and we went to, from Sotokaba to Tatui, which is about an hour, except uh, hour away. And, uh, and we began to see God do miraculous things. 2020 was interesting, as you know. It was almost like the year that we just want to forget. And yet, uh, we had moved to Tatui with the idea of starting in-home church. Now, you know how that went. Uh, we tried to start with, with a rented building, but virtually nobody wanted to come and hear anybody talk or wanted to be near anybody. So we tried that for a little while, but then uh, it didn't work out. But in that period of time, uh, the Lord began to raise up funds from the United States to help build a new church building, or I should say a church building. The church had rented its building for a number of years, and they were paying like 1500 Brazilian dollars uh, per, per month and barely able to do that. But the pastor had a vision of building a church in a new neighborhood, and God raised within a period of like two months $25,000 which translates into 125,000 Brazilian currency, which was amazing, amazing, during COVID. Uh, then we found out that we, we thought we had submitted paperwork to build, but the, the gov- and the government had accepted the paperwork, but then they came back a few months later and said, we can't, we, you can't build. Uh, actually, it was several months later, and... Uh, what had happened was is that there was a new zone, zoning requirement that did not allow a building of our size to be put into the neighborhood where we wanted to build. As we went to the, to the city offices, we, found, we discovered that we had received our authorization to build in a window of opportunity that was only six weeks long. Because of the Lord made us wait for the construction we were just chomping at the bit to begin construction because 125000 in Brazilian currency was burning a hole in our pockets. But the Lord, like the, the, the teacher said this morning in, in Sunday school, sometimes we have to wait for God's response or wait for his answer, and that answer was just wait for a while. And we found out later why, because we had a letter of authorization that was only given to our church. No other church can build from now on because... The, the authorization was only during that six-week window of opportunity. And in the last year, we've seen the most miraculous uh, construction project that we've seen in our whole time in Brazil. A building has gone up in the last year, and it's going to be inaugurated on the 23rd of this month. Don and I will be returning uh, on the 19th to be a part of that, that service. It's in a new community. And already, it's the, the, just the fact that the building has gone up so fast that the community has taken notice, and they're really excited about it, which is really weird. I mean, the church excited about a church. I mean, a community excited about a church coming in, which is not usually the case. But in this, in our case, the Lord seems to be opening up an opportunity of, of ministry. So we came during all of this excitement. Uh, we ended up leaving Brazil on the the 18th of May and came back to the United States. 
So a part of our hearts are in Brazil, and yet we realize that God can raise up others to take our place. Uh, Taking our place is rather insignificant, but taking place in God's plan is really significant. It's when we realize that God really is our shepherd. He's been faithful. Wixom has been giving to our support since 1995. Never did we ever see a lapse in that giving. That's amazing. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you is very, sounds so trite, and yet we thank you for your faithfulness over the years. We never had to worry about your part in our ministry. What we did was for the Lord, but you helped us be there. Without your help, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have been able to, to stay on the field. Like I mentioned at the beginning, we're simple people, but God uses simple people for his glory so that he gets all the glory. I can't say, look at me, I did this, that, and the other. No, because it was God working through us, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for, for your partner ministry. Pastor? Thank you, Mike. We greatly appreciate that. It has been a blessing for our church to partner with the two of you and what God's doing there in Brazil. Before we pray, I just want to re-highlight two things. The E3 Starting Points class begins next Sunday morning at 945. If you are new at First Baptist Church, you've never been through the Starting Points class, this class is for you. And so we want to make sure you know that you're invited at 945. It lasts for five weeks. And we talk about very important ways to engage deeper in ministry here at First Baptist. So please join us at the E3 Starting Points class. Also, you heard the announcement about the community group lunch and meetings next Sunday. Uh, Somebody said, well, the community group is not really my scene. Can I just tell you that what we're going to do next Sunday is we're going to eat. That's everybody's scene, right? And then we're going to talk about the Bible. So if you go to church and you don't want to talk about the Bible, something's missing. We're just going to eat and talk about the Bible. It's going to be brief meetings. I think you'll find the fellowship really helpful and encouraging. Next Sunday's community group lunch and community group meetings is for everyone. We hope that everyone will stay for those next Sunday afternoon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this update from the Jewels. Thank you for Mike and Don's faithfulness and for the privilege we've had to be able to help them financially and try to encourage their work. Lord, we ask that you would bless them now in this next phase of their lives. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship Jesus Christ, the only one who is worthy. May we please him in all that we do and say today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So thankful that we have an advocate through Jesus Christ and access uh, to God's throne, that we can come boldly before his throne of grace and receive mercy. I'm so thankful that that's exactly what Christ has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel, is that we have access to the Father that we can pray and directly talk to him, and he hears our every prayer. Let's stand together as we sing out, Before the Throne of God Above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and peace for me. My name is Ray.
Dan and Carrie for that. Lord, I need you. Perfect introduction for our message today. Go ahead and open in your Bibles to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. The psalm today is about prayer. And for the psalmist, his prayer was answered. And therefore, he praised God. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that our God answers prayer. But I want to today talk about all the ways in which God does that. Because he is worthy of praise. He is worthy of giving thanks because he answers prayer. But he does so in many different ways. In fact, to get us thinking about some of the ways that God answers prayer, I want to begin today with a historical illustration. During World War II, uh, Great Britain was on the verge of defeat in 1940 because of the U-boat campaign of Nazi Germany. The U-boats were attacking British ships and sinking them primarily between Canada and Great Britain itself. And this attack was very, very quickly strangling Britain to death with necessary supplies. The United States at first had sold supplies to Great Britain, but there was a problem. There was an American law that required Britain to pay cash for all purchases, which sounds like a sensible law, except Great Britain ran out of cash almost immediately because fighting a world war is expensive. As a result of this, when Winston Churchill asked President Roosevelt for warships, the law stated that President Roosevelt could not give those warships to the prime minister, even though Britain desperately needed them. However, after repeated pleas by Churchill to Roosevelt, Roosevelt thought of a way to get around this particular problem. The United States had to receive something in return, otherwise it could not give the vessels to Great Britain. And so what President Roosevelt suggested was an exchange the United States would give Britain the warships if Britain would give the United States military bases all around the world. Now, Churchill at first didn't like this plan very much. However, he was in a dangerous situation, so he had to take the deal. But the reality was President Roosevelt had actually thought up a deal that was far better than what Churchill had wanted, and this is why. Those bases were full of British soldiers, and now, since they were now American bases, they would be replaced with American soldiers, which would free the British soldiers to go fight in the war. In fact, those British soldiers primarily were redeployed in North Africa. And if you know your World War II history in North Africa, the British barely managed to hold on against a German advance. And they only held on because of the troops that were redeployed as a result of the Americans taking over these bases. The reality was that Roosevelt had not only given Churchill what he wanted, but he had actually improved upon the request that Churchill had made. Now, this is a human example. Uh, there are perhaps some problems with this deal we could get into historically. But God is even better at making requests than this. God doesn't just answer what we ask for, but he actually works things out to their best possible outcome. That's how God answers prayer. Now, prayer is sometimes challenging because sometimes, like Roosevelt, we don't get what we ask for. We get a change. Or sometimes God even says no, but it's always for the best. Our challenge today 
is to think about prayer the way that the psalmist does in this psalm and to praise God the way the psalmist does in this psalm as well. With all that being said, let's start in Psalm 116. We're going to read the first seven verses. This is what they say. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death encompassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Let's open in prayer. Jesus, we come before you today and ask for wisdom as you promised us in James 1.5. We ask that the Holy Spirit fills the believers in this room and helps us to understand the truth of your word today. Lord, I ask for your truth to go out from this passage and for your perspective on prayer to be the one that we today have. Lord, we give thanks for all the things you do We give thanks to you for answering our prayers. We give thanks to you for being a God who works everything out in the best way possible. We ask for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now this prayer, like many psalms, is a psalm that does not follow a chronological order. In fact, the psalmist actually unusually starts us in the middle of things. In fact, what has happened is the psalmist had a huge problem and now God has fixed that problem for him and he's actually going to tell us the things he's going to do about it in the future. So we're right in the middle with the psalmist. He's had a problem, he's praising God, but he's going to do some things as a result of God answering his prayer. And so today we are going to look at this psalm to the best of our ability and follow this sequence. So that means we need to jump around a little bit. In fact, the psalmist tells us of his problem all throughout the psalm. He talks about it in verse 3, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10 and 11. Whatever this problem was, it was a serious one. The psalmist describes it like this. He describes it as if he is being pressed By death and hell and the grave. He describes himself quoting himself during the situation. I am greatly afflicted. He feels that all men around him are liars. Now we don't know the exact thing that the psalmist was going through. That's not recorded in the psalm. But whatever it was, it was incredibly challenging. Now, Paul actually quotes this psalm, and we're actually going to talk about Paul's quotation much later because it has an awesome application. But in the chapter where Paul quotes this psalm, Paul says this about himself. This tells us what kind of emotions the psalmist must have been feeling because 2 Corinthians 4 is where Paul quotes this. Paul says this about himself while quoting this psalm. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. In other words, Paul is at one of his emotional lowest points. The psalmist was in the same situation. Things were bad, and apparently so bad that death was a possibility. That's what the psalmist says. 
Now, here's the amazing thing and the praiseworthy thing. God answered the psalmist's prayer. Verse 8 tells us the three ways in which the psalmist saw himself being restored. His tears he was delivered from. Sadness, anguish, mental agony. He was restored from stumbling. This implies physical pain and physical hardship. And most importantly, he was restored from death or saved from death. The first thing that we know about God from this passage is that God answers prayer when we feel defeated. In fact, God answers prayer when only he can rescue us. That's clearly the type of situation that the psalmist is describing. Let me give you another historical example of a situation like this. This is the endurance. It is actually one of the most interesting exploration vessels ever. About 100 years ago, about 110 years ago, it was exploring Antarctica and it was trapped in the ice. This was surprisingly not that uncommon for these ships, and they were designed to be able to sit on top of the ice for nine months and then escape the next summer. And that's what the plan was for the Endurance and her captain, Ernst Shackleton. The problem was, after nine months trapped in the Antarctic ice, they didn't get out. The ice didn't melt, and in fact, they realized that the ship was probably never going to be freed from the ice. And their supplies were running low, which means that if Shackleton and his crew had stayed put, they would have died. It had been 12 months since they had been stranded in Antarctica, but the men took the three lifeboats and they put them in the water and they tried to get to the closest British base, which was about 1,500 miles away. They had no navigation tools, just the stars. Shockingly, they made it to an island. Not the right island, but they did make it to an island. It was called Elephant Island. No elephants, just elephant seals. However, at this point, most of the men were so malnourished and the boats were so damaged that they could not go any further. Captain Shackleton repaired the final boat and took the five healthiest men along with himself and sailed for a place called South Georgia Isle, which had a whaling station. And shockingly, journeying over hundreds of miles of open ocean, he made it. Crossed the island, got a ship, and returned for his men. Here is the truly amazing thing about this story. No man died on this expedition. Every single one was saved by the ship. But Ernst Shackleton himself was a God-fearing man. In fact, this is what he said about his experience. He wrote a small poem about it. This is what he says. We had seen God in his splendor, heard the text that nature renders. We had reached the naked soul of man. But he said this because he knew, he believed that the only way he and his men had survived was God had providentially saved them. The only way he had made the journeys that he had made was because God was protecting him and making it possible. This is the kind of thing that God does. When God answers prayer, he handles it, even when no one else can. Now, here's the challenge today. That is awesome. Praise God that he answers prayer. But the psalmist gets one answer to prayer, but there are other answers. The psalmist got a yes. When he asked God, rescue me from this dire situation, God said, I will. And he did. But the reality is 
that God does not always answer prayers with yes. Sometimes he changes our perspective. We realize we're asking for the wrong things. And sometimes God says no. No one is guaranteed God saving them from physical circumstances in their lives. By the way, there's lots of evidence in Scripture, and of course, all of us in here understand this to be true. We've all had a prayer where God has answered no. I'll be transparent with you. The biggest no I've ever received from God was my father's life. My dad had cancer. I prayed fervently, God save my dad, and yet physically, that didn't happen. By the way, that's okay, and we'll get to that in just a little while. But the Bible is also full of situations where the same thing is true. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. But Jesus said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. But let's you think just Paul had unanswered prayer. Jesus, too, asked for something and received no as a response. This is one of the most famous prayers in all of Scripture, but it's incredibly relevant for helping us understand how God responds. Jesus, in Luke twenty-two forty-two, says this, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This was a real prayer. Jesus is not a liar. He's not a falsifier of things. This was not a prayer for effect. God doesn't do that. This is a legitimate prayer by Jesus that God answers no to. And of course, we know why God answers no to this prayer. Because Jesus Christ dying on the cross is the ultimate good. It's the best thing that ever happened to all of humanity. So, Even Jesus receives no to his prayer, once at least. Now, that's physical problems. There are many spiritual things that God says he will take care of if we pray for, and he does that every single time. For example, Romans 10.13 tells us that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. So it's important to keep these two things separate. There are certain things that God says, I will always answer every single time. But there are other things that God might not say yes to. He might say no, or he might ask you to change your mind. Now this requires us to think about and understand what prayer is. First of all, prayer is indispensable to the Christian life. Ephesians 6.18, right after the armor of God, tells us this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Prayer literally surrounds the Christian life. It's the glue that holds everything together. It's not a ritual. It's not a magic power. It's not for certain believers and not for other believers. Prayer is ultimately about your relationship with God. And everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ has a relationship with God. Therefore, prayer is for all of us. Now, God promises to answer many prayers specifically in Scripture. He promises that 
if anyone calls on him, they will be saved. I already talked about that, Romans 10, 13. He tells us in James 1, 5, that if anyone asks for wisdom, God will give it to him. He tells us that he will have victory over evil. And in fact, Jesus encourages us to pray for this in Matthew 6, 13. And again and again in Scripture, even though we know Jesus will be victorious, we are encouraged to pray for Jesus and his coming. We know that's going to happen, and yet we're still encouraged to pray for these things. But there are other things that the Bible encourages us to pray for that are not guaranteed yeses. For example, James chapter 5 tells us to pray for healing. And yet we understand that not everyone we pray for healing for will be physically healed. We are told to pray for the needs of our fellow Christians to be met in the book of Acts. And of course, even in the book of Acts, we know that that is not always the case. This doesn't mean God ignored the prayers or missed them, but he has different answers for these prayers. Now, when it comes to these two types of prayers, spiritual prayers, things that God promises he will always do, and other things that we're encouraged to pray for, it is important we get a few things right. The first thing we have to get right is this. We have to know how to pray. And there's a few specific things that the Bible talks about. The first thing is that prayer does not work unless it's in the name of Jesus, at least once we get to the New Testament. Jesus says this in John 14, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. By the way, this is not a magic formula, okay? I cannot ask in Jesus' name for a million dollars to get wheeled in in a wheelbarrow today and get it, okay? This is not some magic formula that just guarantees that whatever I pray for happens. Remember that this is like a police officer running down the street yelling, stop in the name of the law. This is actually the authority of Jesus. You're asking for something with the authority of Jesus. That's what it means to ask something in the name of Jesus. And that means that whatever you're asking for needs to be something that Jesus himself would ask for. Now, there's a lot of things that Jesus would ask for, but there's definitely some things that Jesus wouldn't ask for as well. The next thing is that we pray that God accomplishes his will. Of course, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 14, starts this way. Jesus says this, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In many ways, God's will and what Jesus wants are the same thing, but Jesus does describe them differently. So this is required as well. Now, this doesn't mean you have to hedge every single prayer by saying, if the Lord wills. You can say that. That's perfectly legitimate to say. But that just is an assumption that we need to make when we pray. God's will is what's going to be done. If you're praying for something against God's will, that prayer will never work. Just like a prayer without the authority of Jesus also will not work. Now, finally, the last thing that when we pray, we have to keep in mind is that the purpose of prayer is to bring us closer to God. This is what God says in Jeremiah 29, describing the new covenant. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. 
So prayer is not just mercenary, I need stuff. Prayer is about accomplishing what God wants to accomplish through the authority of Jesus as it brings us closer to Jesus. Now in this, prayer is actually a partial restoration of the relationship God had with Adam and Eve. Think about the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve didn't actually have to pray. The reason is because God was there, okay? No prayer required. They could just talk to God. And in fact, I suspect that prayer will not exist when we are all present with God in the end of Revelation. Again, no prayer required. You can go talk to Jesus if you need to talk to Jesus. So prayer, in a sense, is a temporary thing, but it is a relationship-restoring thing. It allows you to communicate with God in a way that was broken by sin. And God wants you to do this. This is like talking to, for me, my younger brother. Perhaps for you, it's like talking to your children. Or if you're a teacher, it's like talking to students. God might already know what we're going to pray but he wants to hear us talk about it. When I talk to my brother about historical stuff, I have a secret. I already know everything he knows. Okay? Every time he talks to me about history, I already know what he's going to tell me. Because it's my job to study history and my hobby and my passion. You could put a lot of things in that blank. But I already know what he's going to tell me. And yet I love talking history with my brother. Because it builds our relationship. His passion for wanting to talk about this thing is and exciting and the same thing is true of my students and the same thing is true of you with your kids and your grandkids it's fun to talk about things even if you already know what's going to be said it's a relationship thing that's what prayer is now i already talked about some of the reasons or some of the ways we pray but we also need to know why we pray i already mentioned one we pray to grow closer to god this is not only part of how we pray by getting closer to God, but it's a reason we pray. But on top of that, we also pray to receive God's power. Mark eleven twenty two through 24 tells us this, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. This is the power of prayer. Now, again, this is not a magical formula. You can't go throwing mountains around wherever you want to. This still has to be in Jesus' authority and as part of God's will. So there's, of course, some limitations here. God's not giving you telekinesis. He's not giving you the force. But the power available through prayer is unlimited and it's amazing. We also pray to take part in God's mission for humanity. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9 is talking about the fighting that's going on in the Corinthian church. But this is what Paul says. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labors. And this is the most important thing, for we are God's fellow workers. By praying, you actually get to participate with God in accomplishing his design for the universe. It's kind of like getting a Super Bowl ring, okay? Uh, by the way, I put this ring up mostly for my wife. She likes the eagles, and um, the lions don't have one, so, uh, you know, I went with what I could find. Now, the Super Bowl rings are actually given out pretty widely. I didn't realize this, but not only does every player get a ring, you probably knew that, but everybody on the practice squad gets a ring. And traditionally, every single member of the coaching staff, which includes the water boys, typically gets 
a ring. Now, the reason I bring this up is because the quarterback of the game, I think, usually does a little bit more work than, say, the guy on the practice squad in achieving a Super Bowl victory. And yet, just being on the practice squad, you get some recognition as a Super Bowl champion. Now, when we apply this to God, God's not just the quarterback, but he also is the running back and the line and all the offensive players and all the defensive players and the coaches. And yet he says, look, if you pray, I'm already going to win. But if you pray, you're on the team with me. You get to be my fellow worker. This is just as silly in principle as a three-year-old boy helping his dad fix up the house. Not really doing any work, but still gets credit, still gets glory by being there. That's what prayer offers to all of us. God says, you're my fellow worker if you participate through prayer. What an amazing opportunity. Now, with all that in mind, we can finally get back to what I think is the challenge here. And that is that God really has three ways that he answers legitimate prayers from Christians, excuse me. The first answer that he gives is yes. And Psalm 116 is a beautiful example of this. Whatever challenge was facing the psalmist, God said, yes, I will save you. And he does in a way only God can. But even the psalmist here recognizes in verse 15 that there are other outcomes possible. Because in verse 15, he says that precious in the eyes of God are the deaths of of the saints. In other words, there was another potential outcome where this death actually did come for me. And we see in Scripture that God answers in two other ways. The first is God asking us to reconsider or perhaps showing us a better way. Acts 16.6 is an example of this where Paul has this driving desire to go deep into what we would call Asia Minor, what he calls Asia, and yet God prevents him. And he seems to be deeply in prayer wanting to go, but what he really wanted to do was share the gospel. And what God really had in mind was the maximum amount of gospel sharing possible, and it wasn't until an opportunity opened up that Paul was moved in that direction. So God didn't say, no, Paul, you can't share the gospel. But Paul, where you want to share the gospel isn't where I want you right now. Reconsider. Let me show you, Paul, where you should actually go. And this happens if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit for us all the time. If you've ever sat down and prayed for something and then scripture has come to your mind and you realize, Lord, actually, this is what I want to pray for. God does this. It's not a no. It's not a yes. It's God guiding us to what we really should be asking for. But finally, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God chooses to have us grow through adversity while God achieves what is actually best. And by the way, I'm talking about requests that by all biblical standards are legitimate. For example, a request for healing is legitimate. God says to ask for these things. This is not a bad request, but sometimes God still says no. The reason he says no is outlined for us in Romans 8, 28 and 29, which while a really comforting verse, sometimes if poorly deployed can actually feel really stinging when you're in the midst of a trial. 
Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Unfortunately, a lot of people pause right there. Not a great place to pause in your Bible. Let's continue. To them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son. So number one, God works all things out for good, but here's how he's doing that. Specifically, he's doing that by making you and everyone around you more like Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate good that God is working constantly to achieve. And so sometimes suffering through challenges like Paul did and Jesus did, that is making you more like Jesus Christ. And that is the best possible outcome. So God answers prayer perfectly every time, but it's challenging when that answer is no. But a few things to keep in mind. Number one, what God does is always best. Now that's easy to say. It's a little bit harder to feel that way. It's really something that you have to say, I believe, I have faith that God always works it out, even when it doesn't feel that way. Number two, God's making it perfect because he's making you more like Jesus. Oftentimes, you realize this when you have the perspective to be able to look back on a situation and go, wow, this is what God taught me. You usually can't see that when you're in the midst of the trial, but oftentimes looking back, you can't. There's some other reasons, by the way, that it's perfect. Again, Paul, when he quotes this passage, says this in verses 13 through 15 of 2 Corinthians 4. He says this, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, this is the quote of Psalm 116, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. And here's the relevant Heart, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. In other words, if the gospel is advanced, the best thing is still occurring, even in trial. And finally, Paul has one last note, and something that we as mortal humans on this earth often forget. That's verse 18 of the same passage. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, on this earth, in this situation, certain things just don't feel good no matter how hard you think about them. I'll give you an example. My dad's death really, to me, just never feels good. Never does, never will. It doesn't feel good. Even though I believe God worked out the absolute best outcome of all that situation, I believe that. It doesn't feel that way. But I know that eternally, my father left this planet and he's with Jesus Christ. That is the best possible outcome. And when I view things that way, when I look at it from God's perspective, my perspective changes. And prayer is powerful. So let's Loop back around. I know we spent a long time away from Psalm 116, but now we want to talk about what the psalmist is going to do with what God has done. The first thing that the psalmist says he's going to do is he is going to trust God. Verse 6 and 7 of Psalm 116 say this, The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. 
This idea of rest means God's got it. I know God has this situation. Paul tells us that the Old Testament is given to us as examples. And all throughout Scripture, we see people who pray, who put their challenges before God, and God handles them. In fact, you could probably list every positive biblical role model in the entire Bible, and they are an example of answered prayer. Of course, for all of us, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what challenges you're dealing with right now or have dealt with in the past, I know for a fact, if you're a believer today, God has answered some of your prayers. At the very least, he's answered your prayer for salvation. Because again, Romans 10.13 says, Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Second Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has answered prayer, therefore we can trust him. But not only that, Since God answers prayer, we can rejoice. The psalmist says in verse 17, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. If we think back, if we're intentional about this, we know that there are dozens, hundreds, perhaps thousands of prayers we have asked in our life that God has answered and we should give thanks for. For that. In fact, that's what the psalmist intends to do. That's the next stop, if you will. That's future for him. He hasn't done it yet, but he's going to go. He's going to offer thanks to God. Finally, and this is the most challenging, but the most important, since God answers prayer, we should pray. This is what verse 2 says. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The psalmist here says, because God's answered prayer, I'm going to keep praying. By the way, it's not just the psalmist's advice here that we should follow, but it's all over Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Matthew 6.9, Jesus describing how to pray, says pray after this manner. That implies Jesus thinks we should pray. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. James 5, 13, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. The Bible tells us to pray, and because God answers prayer, our prayer is effective and we should pray. If I can leave you with one final thing to think about, if we want to have a relationship with God, a healthy active relationship with God, we must pray. I want to close with Jeremiah 29, 12-13, a passage I've already read, but crucially important. This is part of what's called the New Covenant, the relationship between God and man made possible by Jesus Christ. This is what God says, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me, and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. This is crucial. Every Christian must pray. Whether we get yeses like the psalmist or whether we get noes like Jesus, prayer is still crucial and it's still important for our relationship with God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Thank you for being a God who answers prayer. Lord, help us as your followers, as your people, to understand when you say no or you change our minds. Lord, we know that you're good. 
We believe that you're good. Help us to understand this and to continue to have confidence in you, to continue to lift up our requests so that we can grow closer to you and have a relationship with you. Lord, we ask that our church today grow more like Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together as we close today, singing out a great song, emphasizing the fact that the Lord, he's our rock and our redeemer. He's the one we can lean on and depend on and talk to in our time of trouble. Thank you for watching this video of one of our recent services. It's a pleasure for us to have you join us from a distance and join our church in a time of worship around the Word of God. The most important message that we can tell you is that God loves you. And he loves you so much that He gave Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. And the Bible says that all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want you to know that message that true life is found in Jesus Christ. An eternal life, the opportunity to live with God forever in heaven in spite of our sinfulness. 
True life is only found in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to pray something like this? Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know there's nothing I can do about my sinfulness. I don't want to pay for my own sin, and I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want his death on the cross to pay for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my own way and make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be willing to pray something like that and put your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, we want to help you as you start your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. God loves you. Our church loves you. We're glad that you could watch this message today. God bless.